0: Hi, it's Sunday afternoon, and let me take, I'm going to do a history podcast, but of a slightly unusual nature, uh, slightly. This is being sponsored by our good friends Akiva Eisenstadt and family there in Manhattan Beach. And as he puts it over here, the students in the Manhattan Beach, I think my nephew used to be in that, Colel, um, listen to the podcast. And as he said, Akiva would like to dedicate this year to his mom, Mrs. Helen Eisenstadt. And to Akiva's wife Abigail, Abalas Midas Tobas, whoa, and Abalas Chesed, and to all the kids, and all of whom should have a Kasiba Chesimba tovah Amen. And also, this is dedicated to the community in Manhattan Beach, where as he puts it, the wonderful Yiddish families are all exemplars of Torah, Avodin Yamil Chasodim. May they all have a wonderful and blessed year, Ed. So, I hope you guys are listening. That bracha is meant for you. Um, today, I'm going to do a little bit of historical. Uh, reconstruction. in other words looking at what you f- sometimes find um, in um, uh, rabbinic literature where you try to reconstruct sometimes in the most extraordinary ways um, historical past based on um, lumpde or dialectical um, uh, pressures. In other words, it's not like regular history you go back and try to find sources and all that. usually these are things that have no sources but you try to do so. In terms of reconciling Gamars and things like this and so I bumped into this simply because now I'm doing this is a Shemitah year, so as soon as the principle so now I'm doing shviz. Um anyway I want to finish it for one of the yard sites I have and first I jump to the 10th parak because that's about the shm- uh, the principle which is coming up any day and, <clears throat> and that's where you get all the rules that's the parak about the principle and uh, You know, Shvius is one of those, um, uh, how should I put it, It is one of those mesechtis, which is in the the Yerushalmi, not in the Babli, it's the Rohim. So, the stuff that you find in Shvius, you don't find as a a tractate in the Talmud Babli. That's why I'm doing the Yerushalmi. But, sometimes bits and pieces of you find in the Babli. To make a long story short, everybody knows, I think anybody who's holding it whatsoever knows that the place, if you want to see in the Talmud Bavli about the Shemitah, or specifically about the Prozbul, is in Gittin, right, and thirty six A, and the reason is because, as often happens tangentially, the preceding Mishnah in Gittin, and those of you guys who are in the Daf Yomi, you'll get, simply mentions that uh, there's a Mishnah that says Hiskin Gamli, Ish Ploni Plonis um, So they mention a certain tikkun about when you sign documents and things like this, whatever they are, that you do certain things called tikkun olam. They do not mean tikkun olam the way you find it in um from federations, all that junk. You know, tikkun in the in the Talmudic sense. And once you're talking about tikkun olam, the Mishnah goes on to mention a couple of others. Okay, this is all in um 34b and Gittin. And I'm on the get me The Hiskin, So I can add on, in Gitten, which has nothing to do with Gittin, Once you talk about different takanas that they made, me Oh, by the way, here's another famous takana they made called Purzvoll. Even though it has nothing to do with Gittin, obviously it has to do with with, with Shemitas with with um, the Shemitah rolls. Nevertheless. Since the Gemara mentioned it there, okay, so eventually on thirty six A and Lamid Vav, again, I am sure a lot of people, everybody even knows this. Um, Talks gets into the subject of Prozbul, and it says very briefly, uh Tanan Hosam Prozbul in Meshamit Ze Echad Men Adram Sheiskin Hikol Hazokim She'ra Asam Nimnu Milchalva Zel Zef V'yom Mashikasa Bishamer L'chav Paniyadavrin Lubochah Bliyal Amad V'heskin Everybody knows that that um, even people don't know anything about it, they know that. And Hill uh, created the famous principle to circumvent the problem that according to the Torah, it seems uh, when Shemitah is over, all the debts are canceled, at least the debts that are due by then. I don't want to go into the details. And um, he was afraid that people wouldn't lend. I don't blame them. Uh, Why should I lend you money when you're going to stiff me? But the Torah tells you, too bad. So you can't help, the Torah tells you, don't refrain from lending somebody money because of that, even though they could stick you. So, since he saw that this wasn't working, I'm just reading the Gemara Plain. So he created the principle, which says, Nechem Do that I hand my debts over to the, the, the basin. And anyway, that way, you get around it, right? That way, you can collect your debts. So, the, that's not the part I'm interested in. Um, so, the Gabor immediately says, Demar says, how can you go against the Torah? Torah says that you cancel the debts, and Hill says not. Okay? So, now, you know and I know, at Takana, you can do stuff. But they mean in general... You know, like, why do he go against the whole institution of the Torah to be Uykarit, as Rashi says? Right? Uykar, government of Torah. I know there are ways of circumventing anything, and I'm serious, I'm not being cynical. A, a, a big lawyer or a big Talmud HaKochem can figure a way around anything. But there's something wrong with creating, at least that's the assumption, something with creating an iron institution which has the effect of totally wiping out a derisa. Why did he do that? Okay? Or how could he do that? So there are two different answers. Again, this is very famous. Amr um, Abayi Shmita Bismanas Erevihi. So that's the one we're going to concentrate on. According to Abayi, it's based on the fact that Shmita anyway is not around anymore, more. right? Shmita Bismanas Erevihi. The Tanya Rabbi Omer Bzedvah Shmita Shamo. In the Chumash, it says the words Hashmita Shamo back to back, juxtaposed. B'shnei Shmitas a kozmedaber. This is to be interpreted as saying that the two Shmitas are interdependent. Acha Shmitas Karka. Right? So one Shmita refers to Karka, which seems to mean, you know, when you do the agricultural stuff, which you're not supposed to do on Shmita. And the other one, Shamo, sh- sh- is the Shmita's Kesev. And it sounds like, Right, So one's dependent on the other. And since we don't have Shmita's Karka nowadays, Torah, so you don't have the Shmita's kesef. At least that's the way it seems. Rashi says, the hill karebi svieli dumer shmita la milva the kind of shmita for kesef bismanazed rabbonim. So there you have it, black and white rabbonim. Aye, what does that mean? In other words, why would it be rabbonim? So you'll tell me because the other Shemitah doesn't count. Wait a minute, hill lived in time of pesach So in his time there was shmitas tarka. If the hill bit by sheni haba, so that's a problem. Why would Hill do it at a time when all this was operating? So Ba'ah must hold that there wasn't Shemitah in Torah, even in the shemitah period. Okay? Based on the fact that it's century depend on Yovo this happens to be in the Yerushalmi, where, I don't want to get too technical over here, because I'm always against that, but suffice it to say that there's two ways of reading the juxtaposition. Uh, one is to say when you have Shemitahs, have shmitas otherwise not. And the other way to say is when you have Yovo, you have a Shemitas Kesev. And um, that's the way they do in New uh, So the, the bottom line is that um, since there was no Yovo in the Shani, this would be based on the general principle that Yovo, according to most, was based on all the 12 tribes being there. And that was over, as you know, when um Sancher took away 10 tribes. So there's no more Yavil, not in practice. So if there's no yovel, there's no Shemitah. All right, I hope I didn't confuse you. And Rashi goes on to say uh, a few other things. And he said, mm-hmm. uh, Rashi was a student of this guy, Yitzhak Alevi, so he found in the Kuntrasin in the around his time that it says, uh, and it says that word, that Zed All right. Although Rashi says it is a machlokis, because in Torah's Khanim it says that Shemitah is not dependent on Yovo, So Rashi leaves it a little bit confusing, but it doesn't matter because it seems to be that when Abaya makes this statement, it's based on the idea that there was no more um, uh, Shemitah's uh, uh, Karka, and therefore because there was no yovo, and therefore there's no Shemitah's Kesem in Torah. Once the whole thing is made up on it, so he can play games. That's the idea. He can make a takana. That's the basic way of reading it. Shoim. Now, that's not what I was looking at. Tosvis is the interesting part, the weird part. Okay, Tosvis here uh, says, where she brings them that they didn't have hashematis karka, meaning the rules about the agricultural stuff that you can't do in Shemitah. Didn't apply by Shani certainly not the level of because it says Since there was no Yovel because the ten tribes were gone, Okay, so the whole thing is on one and therefore you could do whatever you want. Now here comes the point: the Kasher Beinutam. But Rabbeinu Tam disagrees with this and offers to what, in my mind, an extraordinary historical reconstruction. It's very unusual, very interesting. That the Hayyilol Havi Ahidu Ushami, that says, why didn't the Bavli bring down the, the, the Vort, the juxtaposition from the Ushami? In other words, not that it's Shemit, I'll repeat it again. In the Bavli, it says, Echa Shemitas Karka, Echa Ksafim. Um, Whereas in the other places it says, Echad Yovel So he said, why don't he use the That's more Nogaya. Right? I feel a number to some Akati Kasha. Whatever, that's the big argument of the right I don't want to get you bogged down. Venirullah So based on these Kashas, so this is based on what we would call scholastic and, and, and dialectical considerations that there's a problem with the text in, in the Bavli. Nirullah Benutam. So, Rabbanatam therefore offers a different reading, and when it says, shmitas Karka and Shemitah's Keseb, it doesn't mean, Rabbanatam says, what you think it means, which is the agricultural stuff that you can't do in Shemitah, but rather it refers to Yovo, even though it uses the word Shemitah's Karka, but it doesn't mean Shemitah's Karka in the usual way that you would think, which is, uh you have to leave the ground fallow in, in some way. But rather Hashmotuskarta means when the when the property slips out of your hands, which is the old Yovel system, because in Yovel all the land goes back to the original owner. So I'm the owner and it's Nishmat from my Yodi. you know, automatically if you practice Yovel, no matter what I did, you don't even have to make a, a a buy it back. All the land goes back to the original owners as we all know. The the Lawyer is El Basados BeYovel. It's referring to the Jubilee business karka Right? So, um, the way you read the Gemara, when you're being is that when there is, when you know gay hashmotas karka, meaning when the ground that you own slips out of your hands and goes back to the original owner, then you do hashmotas Ksafim. Then you do the cancellation of debts, which he says does not apply to only in the Shemitah year. Otherwise, not. Right? Bismansh atomashamat yovel atomashamat shviyas. Okay, if Yom now, the point's like this. So, Shemitah was totally in Yovel, Okay, now, um Rabbeinu the did Babai shen'i no And you guys who all say that there was no Jubilee, no Yovel in the Second Temple, are wrong, there was. Which is quite remarkable, because we have no record of this whatsoever. But he asserts that so, and he does so, again, based on dialectical considerations, Lumbus okay the Now this is talking notice his proof and I'm trying to indicate to you today this is the style you find in Rishonim a number of times in Tosus, of historical reconstruction in which you offer quite remarkable uh, interpretations of the past, such as unusual ones such as the notion that Yovel, Obviously, according to this, didn't have to do with call all uh, Even though the, the tribes are gone and most Jews actually lived outside of Palestine and so on and so forth, they did Yovel anyway. He asserts, and his proof is a weird one. His proof is uh, from the book of Ezra. In the book of Ezra, I think everybody knows that the big problem was intermarriage. Okay, uh, very briefly, they built the second temple. Six months later, Ezra shows up. Of planning to reinforce the Yiddish Kite with a whole bunch of people after the temple was built, he comes there and he finds that the uh, that the what he called the uh, there's a big intermarriage problem. And the match has is something, possibly goes something like that. And the Kohanim Gedolim and the others, they're the ones who led the, the charge. In those they all dumped their wives and they married Goyim. That's the regular way of learning it, and that is how most usually. Understand this parsha. Uh so there was Shmoz, and there's a very famous Medishabba, or it'll be famous in a second, and um gracious and parsites. Listen to this. Amra this is a medrish, not me. But Shah Shaoli thrown a gola. When these guys made aliyah now what is he talking about? The first group that went was before Ezra. Cades Bavel Zeru, Bavela Kage, no shahati, right? so the jews were all in babylonia then cyrus took over he gave the jews permission to return some a fairly small number returned the rest stayed back in Babel. those guys who returned eventually over the course of time built the second temple and then ezra came with a couple thousand more that's the story so what happened with the first group the first group was Zrubovel and uh the cohen god yoshua ben yod those guys came and settled judea palestine in the in ocean of Goyim, so Amrab Chagai Menagola Pachmu Nosheh The trip killed the, the good looks of the women; it became black. Nes Pachmu Nosheh In other words, you know, it, it 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 did terrible things for their looks. Basically, what it means, is like this: these women were the Chalutziot. We're talking about the real Frummies who. Defied the difficulties of the journey. Really, all of Kali's should have gone back when Cyrus gave permission, but they were already used to living in America, living in Babylonia. They did not want to really give up the good life, and so for gosh' reasons they stayed behind. The few who went who were hardy pioneers included men and women, husbands and wives. These are the wives who were the heroes. They were willing to make the to undertake the rigors of the journey. The rigors of the journey through the Middle East at that time was tough on the on the skin. I'll tell you again, somebody uh, criticized me. I remember when I was a kid, re- no, actually a girl told me, uh, who was in the army. I read when, long ago that the Israeli army used to give you out special creams and junk like that for the skin because, you know, it's 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 bad for the girls in the army. Although, I think it was Leah Rosberg, I don't know. Somebody told me that that, that it's not that way now. But whatever the case is, you know, not to be funny about this because it's really not funny. Uh, it can be tough on the uh, cosmetic end. And so, the bottom line is, by the time these heroic women accompanied their husbands and finally arrived in Eretz Road, their looks were shot. So the husbands dumped them and married sixes. so That was disgusting. Including, may I say, the sons of the coming girl and all kind of other people. Obviously, it goes without saying that you can't marry uh, you know, outside the Jewish religion, they just did it anyway. That's the pushup shot, and um, and they didn't care. And The result was that uh, the, the forlorn women those the women who got shafted, who were dumped, the, the brand new temple they made a parade of women. This would be a movie, man. This is a mini series. They would, they, they, they um. Did hakaf around the mizbeach and cried, you know. Um, soon we're coming up Rabbah. and remember they used to march around the mizbeach with all these ceremonies. Well, here's a, a feminine one, which is, uh, decrying, the disgusting treatment that they've been subjected to by their husbands. And the prophet Malachi, according to this, Malachi. He'd be living at this time. He's blasting them when he says, Zo Sasu, you're doing this again? In other words, you dumped your wives back into Penosimov, because that's what happened. We never think about that side of it. You know, they ran off with the Moabite girls. Well, what happened to their wives? You see? So, Zosheni Sasu, you're doing it again? Osdim was Hashem you're covering with tears the Mizbeach, with Bechivanoch, Meinod Mizbeach. You think God's interested in your karbonas, you bummy husbands? So the prophet Malachi took up the cause of the women. Okay? You stole her good looks, and now you dump her? So this was a scandal. That's the way you usually read it. And Ezra undertakes a campaign to reverse that, and he does. According to the book of Ezra, he does. And he calls him in, he cusses them out, said everybody go go back to your wife, get rid of the guys your wife, blah, blah, blah. And he names names. Okay. He's like Senator McCarthy. He names names. I say, these are the 86 people, 98 people, whatever it was, and the last chapter has a these guys married him, these guys marry him, these guys marry him, and so on and so forth. Okay. That's the regular way of reading it. It's not necessarily the Talmudic way of reading it. And the reason is because. It says in the P'sukim, I don't have it in front of me, but I have Tosas in front of me. It says over there that these guys, after Ezra custom out, undertook. They gave their hand, promised to get rid of the Geisha wise, and shamin uh, el son and they all promised to bring carbonoshams. Right, so I got no problem with that. If you look at Moshe Mifarshim, you say like this: What kind of carbonoshim? Let me put it this way. If we want to be technical now, this is just interesting. If you want to be technical now, um, what is the penalty for a Jew who marries a guy? Well, from a strictly legal point of view, they're not married. So you can't say there's a penalty for marrying someone because the marriage doesn't count. Right? So what you really mean is, what is the penalty for a Jewish guy living with a guy? Uh, I mean, they talk about their chasness and all, but it doesn't count. The bottom line is it's wrong, don't do it, stop doing it, leave, etc. etc. Et there's no carbon. Right? There's no carbon for the for this crime. You just have to stop doing it. Okay? So that bothers people, Mepharsham, Tanoim Amroyim, because why does it say that they undertook to bring guilt offerings? If there's no such thing as an Osham for this sin, then you bring a kulanazar, you're doing the wrong thing. Now mind you. It's not the only place in the book of Ezra where you have such problems. Take it from me. And the way you should get around to say it was a Horasha. It was a one-time deal, which makes totally good sense. And you see, Ezra really wanted to get over to, you know, first of all, he was a god of the dark. He created the Ashkenaz uh, Sehdov, and he wanted to get over to impress upon them the severity of what they had done, the haimer ho'aveira, which was a disgusting thing. And therefore, he said, you should all bring a carbonation." as a as a harasha. Maybe that'll make it dramatic you. I don't know, something like that. That's what most of your foresham say. But in the Gemara crisis, it says, that, you know, they, Rav Chisda takes a much more legalistic point of view than a dramatic one. And he says, it couldn't be that just yes, they married a shiksa therefore you bring a carbonosha, El or mine, it was a much more complicated case. And he comes to the conclusion that what they did was they did not marry Gentile women. Instead, they married or took up with, Shifchas, which, which means female slaves. Right? Here we're dealing with the concept of Evid Ivri, Evid Canaini, shivcha Canainis. So you had Shifcha K'nainises over there. But a very special category called the shivcha harufa, which is, she's half and half, and this is what Tosa says. This is the proof of Benutam. ashamim El Sonal Shmosem Melamit Shikulim Shifchas Charufs Balu. That the sin was not that these 98 or whatever people, including the Koen Godel's sons, married Gentiles, but rather the Shibcha Charufas, who they had beer with. But Harufa hanu So Shibcha Charufa is a funny thing. She's like half and half. She's half, you know, in other words, one master, freedom, one did. She's half Shivcha and half Baschorin. Uh, and she's betrothed to an Everdivri, because an Ebedivri can live with a Shibcha. We all remember that from Mishpatah. But, in this, but, but um, since she's betrothed, engaged to an every, so somebody else shouldn't get in there. And here they did. So they violated that technical uh, problem. That since the Bia with someone who was moresist to an evidivri, to engage in every, so that's a sin that the Torah does cover, and says you have to bring a, 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 an usham. He said every day in, in the, uh, what do you call it, you know, this and that and the other. This is the Asham Shivcha. Now, Rabbeinu Adam says like this. So if there were Ebed Ivris running around, because if there were Shivcha Charuvas, there were Ebed Ivris. Because otherwise there wouldn't be a Shivcha Charuva. Ebed Ivri, they must have practiced the Yovel, And we're talking about the Second Temple. So you see in the time of Ezra, they practiced, um, what do you call it? Um, it's a very roundabout way of arriving to this conclusion, but I'm just sharing with you the historical reconstruction of Rabbeinu and don't tell me as somebody might say, well maybe these were in, they were engaged to Evid back in the bias Rishon period which would mean you're talking about women that are 80, 90 years old at least, or 70 years later for various reasons okay? now um, in addition to that um, it said, and furthermore, there was a Bateyar was around at that time. Okay, so now you deal with the problem, and this is the part that engaged my interest, okay, now you deal with the problem that um, here's Hillel, he's living in Second Temple period, there is yovo therefore there is Shemitah, Midarisa, and he's just going, and as the Gemara says, just you kind of unilaterally canceling out the Den of Kasev, even though, you know, the gemara realizes the technical way of he's doing it, and even before that, there was a thing called Moser's Star-Slobace. There are ways around it. But the idea of using, this is my understanding anyway, the idea of using legal uh, tactics to, even if they're valid, to completely be uker, as Rashi says, a whole institution of rise of so Shemitah's Kasev, which is like bothersome. And it was derisive Because according to Rebbeinah Tom there was Yobel, therefore there was Shemitah. So how could he do that? So Rebbeinah Tom says something most remarkable. V'lo tiken Hillel Adoro. Right? This is extraordinary to my mind. That when his, Hillel made the, the, the invention of Prisbal, he, he created it, and they, in his skin, they they, in, they legislated it. Because Hillel was the head of the Sanhedrin. In his time, that's actually a very complicated business. I just stuck my finger into because, um, if you go by the Doris Roshonin, he's very um, iron in this whole era. Hill and Shami live in the time of Hordes of Herod, it's a very important part of the story. They uh seem not to have had exactly a Sanhedrin because of political reasons. Herod was the same thing as Joseph Stalin, so anything that was the smite, slightest bit political, they just kill him. Therefore, um, the Doors of suggests, you can see it in the Victor Miller book, I haven't taught this since high school many, many years ago, but I used taught it many years. Um, you'll see that during the time of Herod, he had Base Beis Hill, Beis Shammach, that he pretended to be just two uh, schools of learning. You understand? And they couldn't really operate as a regular son had been. Nevertheless, somehow or other, they did. And with the provisional business, uh, so Hillel was, let's, let's call it, Officially, unofficially, he's the head of Sanhedrin. But the thing is like this. He lived in the time of Herod. So Herod would be, mm, if I remember correctly, I think he died in the year four. Basim is the story in the year 70. So 65 years before he died by Yisrael Now, Herod says like this. I mean, because of that, it's weird. Revena Tom says that Hillel, let's say for argument's sake, that this happened in the year 20 BCE or 10 BCE. I repeat, because that's when Hill was operating the time of Ahurdas, roughly. I repeat, Basimation is destroyed in 70 CE. So it's 100 years, 80 years, 70 years before the Khurban Basimation, more than 70 years. And he says like this, the institution of Prismal, Hill went as follows. I can see that things ain't going good. And I can see there's going to be a Horbin. And I can not today and not tomorrow, but in the future will be a korban. When the korban happens, there will be no more Yovo, There will be no more mitarisa. And at that time, I see that there would be a problem with people not wanting to lend. And so I'm creating an institution now, but it shouldn't go into effect until after the korban. That's a wild and weird shot. Hillel wasn't talking about his time when everything was the rise up, because he lived in time based on Helo Shimon Gamliel says very famously that Hillel was approximately 100 years before the destruction of the Temple, which is actually correct. that works out historically. Now, so he didn't make a Tekuna for his time. He made it a, a, a law which would only apply 100 years afterwards, or 70, 80 years afterwards. They have Yadi, the Chor the Because they knew Beisah was going to be destroyed. Real, Really? So that's extraordinary. I can't think of a similar case. So It's like somebody sitting in 1920. It's like you told me, Chavetz made a rule in 1922 about computers. Or something like that. That might not be the exact same thing. Because that's a new technology. But like you could tell in 1922 what's going to be in the year 2022 or something like that or 1822 was going to be in 1922, right? Kin Amrinah Nazir. There's a Gemara Nazir which says that when the Nacham Mahdi told, you know, Nacham you know, from Mehmed Likin, he told these Nazirs that bad timing, they showed up just after the temple was destroyed, and, you know, now they're up the creek. they're screwed because they're not going to bring, bring the carbonosoft to remain Nazirs forever, and he figured out some way of saying, well, didn't you know when the temple was going to be destroyed? Let me get that Gemara, hold on for a second. Okay, I pulled out a rusty, trusty art scroll, Gemara here in uh, 32B in, in uh, Mishnah in um, Nazir. And it says, it's talking about, you no, know, that when you make a, a Naziris and then we look, at, can you say you regretted it? And is this thing you regretted, was it there at the time you made the Naziris? Things like that, you know, it's technical. But let me get to the point. Nazir Nachmadi was there in the year seventy or seventy one, when these Nazir's who were Shlamis, mean, they so they had bad, bad, timing. They showed up in Israel, and the basin and, and Jerusalem doesn't exist. The Romans just destroyed it. The temple doesn't exist. and uh, so what do they do now? I mean, you're going to tell them the rest of your life you have to be a Nazir because you can't purify yourself. So he figured a way out for them. Uh, he said to them, Elohim yodin." he um, knows him, if you knew the temple is going to be destroyed, would you have made a Nazar? He said, no. He said, well, then you're free. The chacham said, no, it's not like that. But if the temple was destroyed at the time they made the Naziris, then they would be free. Fine. Now, those are little points. Now, um, I'll tell you the point I want to get to. And that is that, I'm reading in the art school now, the Gemara assumed that before the destruction of the temple, the, uh, what do you call it? the korban itself would be unlikely. So the Gemara is saying, these are Amorim talking, who live much later. Was the by Ba'ashen really unexpected? Yeah, Vayi Hasen Rabbi Yosef says, uh, I would have said to these Nazir's, don't you know, didn't everyone know, that the second temple was living in borrowed time? It says in the book of Jeremiah, Yermi Hechal Hashem, Hechal Hashem, Hechal Hashem, Hema. Right? That there's uh, three times this is Hechal Hashem in Yermio, because what basically is happening is, as Rashi points out, that the prophet Yermio is saying, "Don't listen to the false prophets, because the false prophets are telling you, you don't have to do tshuva, because of Hechal Hashem. Since the the temple is in Jerusalem, the Bayis Rishon, and that's a holy building, God will protect it no matter what. But he says not true." Hashem, Actually, the base of is going to be destroyed. I got news for you. The second base of will be destroyed. There'll be a grand total of three Hechal Hashem's. The third one won't be destroyed, but the first one will, and the second one will. Okay. I've often mentioned the story. It's very famous about Ralph Herzog, who was the chief rabbi in Israel and Palestine in World War II, and he went to the United States in '41, I think '42. That's when he was in near Israel to see President Roosevelt try to help the Jews. You know, know, and I know that didn't go anywhere, but he tried. And then he flew back to Palestine right at the time that Rommel and the German army were almost there. It was just before the Battle of El Alamein. Now, it so happened the British won and everything was okay in the end. But at that time, he flew there. Nobody knew that. And it looked like the Germans white win. And so his friends told him, why are you going back to Israel, to Palestine? They're going to get killed over there. Stay here in America. And uh, I remember Levi Eshkol, who was, of my he was not from he said he asked the chief rabbi and he said like this there's three bases and make there's three temples the third one will not be destroyed you know so I'm sure that the yeshuv and Eretz will will not be destroyed now you can you know it's not exactly the same thing but nevertheless he put his life on the line for that but the point they're trying to bring out is if you lived in the time of um B'aisheni, didn't you know? that it was living on borrowed time? Zimig Dishri, Zimig Disheni. says, well, they didn't know exactly when, Mio and Amos, didn't want to be destroyed. Not true. Not true. They knew when it would be destroyed, because it says in the book of Daniel, Shavuim This is the famous prophecy of the 8th chapter of Daniel, where he tried to figure out, you know, the future, and the angel came and told him, 70 weeks. 70 times 7. 70 times 7 is interpreted various ways. You can look up Daniel. But the plain straightforward shot, not that there is such a thing, is 490 years. So you have bias region, which is 410. And then 490. 70 years, Golis bubble 420 for Baya's Shani. Then comes the Chorban. Right? That 70 weeks have been there on your people, which is why Daniel was depressed. So didn't they know these nauseous that the temple would be destroyed around the year 70. And Numara said they didn't know exactly when. So, Rabino Tom wants to argue that people had notions that the temple is going to be destroyed. It's a wild... I mean, this Gemara itself is pretty wild. People thought in that terms. Usually you say, nobody knew what Daniel was talking about. After it's all over, then you can look back and you figure what the 70 weeks are. I don't think they knew at that time. But what I just said, according to this Gemara, is wrong. They knew. Right? So, Hillel, as he puts it over here, um... So that, that's that's the way the history of Shemitah is. Okay? It's wild. Here's, according to Tom, here's Hillel, Hazakin. And he's living, like I said before, 80, 100 years before the Korban. And he can smell already, it ain't going in a good direction. It sounds from this brief reference in Tosis that Tom has in mind to Gemara said, didn't you know about the 70 weeks in the prophecy of Daniel? Or, Hei Chal Hashem, Hei Hashem, and all the rest of it. It's not clear from Tosas, And therefore, he said, I'm putting a law out there, but I'm putting it in the icebox. And my successors, when the time comes, they can pull this out of the icebox and implement it. It's called a prismal. That's wild. So in other words, when it says, he saw people aren't lending, he didn't mean his time. He meant a hundred years from now. He could foresee... That this would be the reaction to destruction of the temple, something like that. This puts a very interesting spin. If you take this seriously, it's a very interesting spin on the late history of the late temple, Second Temple, which certainly had its ups and downs. Hiller, I repeat, lived in the time of Hortus. What is it that led him to these conclusions? Was it simply a rigid, rigid structural reading of the scripture? He read the, the, the prophecies of Daniel. Or of Jeremiah, is that it? Or, I mean, we'll never know. I'm raising good questions. But as you know from graduate school, good question, better than the answer. Um, or is it that he could smell the times were going bad? Because under Herod, it was a terrible situation. Uh, fascinatingly, Hillel, I think, was at the time of the bias Shane or by Shlishi, perhaps, when Herod rebuilt the place from top to bottom. We all know, you know, the Migdash Hordas, that in terms of buildings, there were three already. There's the Baish Misham from Shlomo. There's the Baish from through Babel's time. And then there's the complete makeover from top to bottom, <clears throat> excuse me, top to bottom by Hordas, which was in the time of Hillel. So everybody says that the building that hordes erected was exceptionally beautiful. You all know those Gamors. Whoever didn't see the house of hordes never saw a beautiful building, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying it's not true. Okay? But I guess anybody that understood spiritual things like this, there cannot be a for a base Amigish that was built by a guy like Hortus, who wasn't even exactly Jewish. The, the, the particular exact status of Herod is pretty tricky. Gemara say it was an Evid. I'm not even sure about that, but okay. Let's say he was an evid. But he was a big murderer. Killed a ton of people and he had a reign of terror he was what you call i call him stalin because he was a successful dictator stalin lasted until his death so did hera by a constant regime of terror and we know if you look a little bit closely you don't have to be a genius that hillel was well aware of the terrible times in which he lived and that it did not bode well for the future i am thinking of course of the famous statements ascribed to Hillel in the Pirkei If you look in the second chapter in Pirkei if you know how to read it says different things from Hillel and he says I'll Al-ta- I'll and so forth and listen it is Tomar Dover she'eif shlishma she'sofulishma hi don't think you can say things privately that won't get heard it will get heard that's mamish the way Josephus describes Herod who had spies everywhere Literally everywhere, and he had snitch boxes instead of mailboxes. You could just put in a, a denouncing of someone else. Notice I if I wanted to, I live in time of Herod. I go to Shul, I come back. I say, this, this guy in Shul, Mr. Cone, said something against the King. I got news for you. They would follow that up and wipe out the guy's family. That's how it was under Herod. You can, like I say, you can read Josephus on it, and Josephus gives you a kisser of what he found in a long book on Herod by Nicholas of Damascus. So, Herod was a mamzer and a half. Ad ketei that when Herod died, the Jewish people asked the Romans, you rule us directly, don't let us be ruled by by this family. Which is pretty sad. You know what I'm saying? It's extremely rare that a people want to be ruled by a foreign group over their own. Now, um, uh, it, I mean, it's all in Josephus, but what, what I said. So he said, Even the Gemara, I remember, in Bavasa says that um Herod tried to get Baba Bambutta to speak of politics and he wouldn't do that. And he said, if I knew the rabbis were this discreet, I wouldn't have killed him. So you see, yep, he'll say what he needed to say. I'm not finished. And he goes on to say, um Afur achesh it He saw a skull floating on the water. But this is not Hamlet over here. He, this is how life was under Herod. People disappeared like under Stalin. And then they're just gone. Next thing you know, the guy's floating somewhere. Okay? And you don't ask any questions. Because you ask questions at the beginning of getting yourself in trouble. So you walk the shoal, you walk here, you see dead bodies right and left. Garnish. And we're not talking about inner city America where it's a crime. And it's from, you know, the drugs and the wire and all that. You're talking about the government bumped these guys off. Okay? And he said to the to the skull, self-matayfach Because you drowned others, they drowned you. In other words, it's mamish like these gang wars. You know, it's, it's not from the drugs. It was Herod, but it was a, a what's the right word? A, a revolving door. Today, these guys got killed by that guy. Then a third group killed the second group. Then a fourth group killed the third group. This is how Herod operated. And that's how, by the way, you're successful, because you allow... Any group of your supporters to be entrenched in power, and you won't be able to get rid of them. So, every once in a while, you gotta, as the expression goes, you gotta mow the grass, you know, you gotta cut the lawn and start all over again. So, you, you killed others, they killed you, and the, and the guy that killed you will also get killed by another guy. So, what does that mean? He lived in a time of a reign of terror. He can only speak in, in elliptical form. And according to this Rebbeinu Tom, anyway, uh, Hillel, who's a real from guy, obviously, and very halachic, he was already seeing that in the future this ain't going to be good. Now he died Hillel around the year one something nobody knows, you know, Be'erich or near ten BC, something like that. There's no way of knowing. And that time Herod was still ruling, but he could smell, according to Benatan, that after Herod will come somebody like that, and another thing like this, another thing like this, sooner or later. Bais is going to be destroyed, and as a result of that, the Jewish polity will be destroyed. And as a result of that, you won't have Yovel anymore. As a result of that, you won't have Shemitah rice anymore. As a result of that, I got to think about the fact that how's this going to affect the Shemitah's kasev. And Hillel is worried about uh, the poor, and they're the ones who need the prosbul. You know, I mean, in other words, by in order to keep uh, people lending. And he was thinking, what well, will be of the poor in the wake of all this destruction? Uh, that is a very unusual shot. I can't think of another example like this. Maybe you can, I can. Which is, you find somebody making a law that is meant to apply 58, 100 years from now. Uh, it's a wild shot, as far as I'm concerned. But it's a, it's a Tom. Okay? So, setting aside the question of whether it's the oval or not... Uh, Vayner holds it was. You know, his rye is a little funny, but there you have it. Um, and he does have a Botei Eichelma. But the notion that the whole Prusbo was created, as they say before, as kind of a model legislation and put in the icebox, because it wasn't applied in Hill's time, and was meant to be taken out by his great-great-grandchildren or something like that, is, to my mind, kind of unique. Uh, and you don't find cases like this and it's a classic example of what you find once in a while by the Rosh in which, for scholastic reasons, they offer a radical reconstruction and reinterpretation of the past. Uh, and I thought here's like a perfect example, because you and I are about to go into the Procible season in a week or two, whatever it is, you know, just before Rosh Hashanah. And if you go like Tosim, if you go like Tom, it's going to be a Takona unlike most, <laughs> most other Takanas. Agreed? Because usually, when they make a rule, it's for that time and place. Uh, here, it was not for that time and place, but he could see down the road, and, he, and and he's not legislating it now. He's saying, I want this to be on the record, so that when the time comes, my successors will know, will, will know exactly how to proceed this. I thought that's, uh, uh, to my mind again, rather unique um, and uh, very bold uh, reconstruction of the Biosceni period. Anyway, with that, I want to... Yeah, I just want to finish by saying uh, I want to thank Akiva Eisenstadt and all the guys over in Manhattan Beach for uh, sponsoring this. And with that, I wish everybody a, a good good year.